Good morning, church. Nice to see you. My name is Paul. I haven't met you. And a welcome to those who are watching online. Our topic today is this, choose obedience. Choose obedience. Uh, I love the words from the old hymn, Trust and Obey. They're on the screen. Uh, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obedience. They're the two sides of that coin that we call Christianity. It's faith and following. It's belief and behavior. It's creed and conduct. Because being a Christian is not just about understanding certain facts. It's not just about saying, yeah, I believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again and will return. If that's just your faith and your behavior doesn't follow suit, then, then you are a hypocritical Christian or, as James would say, you have an empty faith or a dead faith. It's not working. But the flip side is this. If it's all about doing the right thing, all about obedience, all about this list of do's and don'ts, then, then your Christian life will be full of duty and drudgery. And far too many believers live like that. So trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that when you obey the Lord, when you live his way, when you do what he asks you to do, you will live the best life, full of blessing, satisfaction, living a joyful, contented Christian life. It's what the Bible says. Psalm 119, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Blessed. It means happy, it means contented, it means joyful, it means being satisfied. Uh, the Apostle John says the same thing in 1 John 5. This is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Yeah, once you've experienced the love of God, once you're in a relationship with God, you, you long to obey him, you want to obey him, and those commands, they are not burdensome. They, they are light, they're a delight. We're blessed when we obey. When you choose to walk God's ways, when you choose to walk that narrow path, when you choose to say no to temptation, when you choose to put God first, to get rid of bitterness, revenge, envy, retaliation, when you choose not to covet, and when you choose not to lie, and when you choose to always speak the truth and to always act kindly, when you choose to pursue justice, then yes, you will experience the blessings of the Lord. You'll be happy in Jesus. And I can testify to that. Looking back over the past 30-odd years as a Christian, there has been times in my Christian life when I have chosen ashamedly to disobey. I've chosen to blatantly ignore the Lord. Now, I've chosen to lie. I've chosen to lust. I've chosen to not forgive. And I've chosen to covet 
what other people have. And if I'm perfectly honest, my walk with the Lord was miserable. Because <laughs> I was racked with guilt and left dissatisfied and discontent. And then there's the opposite times when I've chosen to obey the Lord, no matter how hard that was, no matter how costly that was to, to pursue purity as a single man, to turn the other cheek, to not to slander, to get rid of bitterness, to, to choose to be financially generous. And in those moments, I've experienced this, this delight, this peace, this joy, this, this intimacy with God. Funny that. What the Bible says, if you obey, you'll be blessed. I love this quote. If you know that God loves you, if you know that God loves you, you should never question any directive from him. It will always be right and always be best. When God gives you a directive, you are not just to discuss it or to debate it, you are to obey it. Obedience is part of being a child of God. You ever been to a doctor and they have prescribed you some medication? You know when you get that box of pills? There are instructions there. It might say something like, take two tablets three times a day for five days. Now, now why does a doctor tell you, tell you that? Because it's for your good, it's for your best. You don't go home and think, well, I, th I, say, I think I know better than that. I will take ten tablets all today. If you do that, you're stupid. It's dangerous. So why do we open God's word and read these instructions from our maker and think, oh, this is not good, this is not best for me? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what is obedience? What's the essence of obedience? When you hear that word obey, please don't think rules. Think relationship. When you hear the word obey, please don't think laws, think love. See that link in verse 1? Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements. The two go together. The way that you love is by keeping his commandments. As you keep his commandments, you are loving God. Love the Lord your God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him, not, not to earn your relationship, but, to, but love him because you want to enjoy your relationship. If you're adopted as a child, the, the, the parents who adopted you, they love you. And so when they give you some household rules, those, those rules are not given so that you can prove yourself or to, to make them love you more. They already love you, and they want you to enjoy the best life in that household. And our God loves us. And when you know that you're loved by God, you want to obey him. You want to love him back. Elizabeth Elliot says, when obedience to God contradicts what you think will give you pleasure, then ask yourself, do you really love him? Obedience to God is about loving God. It's about serving God. That's the word used down in verse 13. If you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, here are the commands to love God and to serve him with all your heart and your soul. Part of obeying is serving your God because remember this, God is always your master and you're always his servant. And they're sure you are loved by God, you're a child of God, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are cherished, but you're still a servant. Until the moment you die, you're a servant of God. He's a gracious, kind master. And so you're supposed to live your life going, how can I serve God today? I'm not talking about a task. I'm not talking about a roster. I'm talking about this attitude 
God, what do you want me to do for you today? Whatever you want, I will do it. That is the essence of obedience. It's about loving God. It's about serving God. It's about walking in his ways. That's the phrase used down in verse 22. Spot the pattern. If you carefully observe all these commands. Now, what are the commands? To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience, and to hold him fast. The story of a father and son who were visiting a a small town, and they went to find an uncle they'd never met before, never seen before. And they're walking through this town, looking for this uncle they'd never met before, never seen before. And the father points across the square and says, there he is. That's our uncle. And the son says, Dad, but how do you know you've never met him before, never seen him before? He said, because he walks just like our father. He walks just like our father. And people are supposed to look at your life. Look at the way that you live. Look at the things that you see and do and say. What you watch, what you listen to, the way you relate to people and go, there's the son of a father. There's a daughter of our God. That's the essence of obedience. We we walk in his ways. And and sometimes our Heavenly Father asks us to walk down paths that we don't want to walk down. He takes us down a path that we'd never choose to go down. And the question for you is this. Will you trust him? As you walk down this path, will you obey him? Will you hold fast to him? That's the the phrase used in verse 22. Will you cling on to him and grab hold of him and say, God, I don't know why you're taking me down this path, but I trust you here. And remember, as, he, as you hold on to him, his grip on you is always, always, always stronger. Now that is obedience. Not just rules, but a relationship. You love God, you serve God, you walk with your God and you hold fast to your God. And that is liberating. And he asks you to keep, verse 1, his requirements, his decrees, his laws, his commands, always. All the commands. Now, now how, how, how do you know what God wants you to do? How do you know what God wants you to do in life? And the answer is, well, read your Bible. It's not rocket science. This this is how God has revealed himself. This is how you relate to God. It's through the scriptures. Spend time with him in his word. That's why verse 18 says, fix these words of mine, the words of God in your hearts and your minds. Meditate on them. Dwell on them. Devour them. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And I know sometimes we can mock or ridicule our Jewish friends as they have scriptures all over the place and they wander around, they've got scriptures hanging off their hats and off their wrists and off their ankles. And I don't think this verse is supposed to be taken literally, but there's something beautiful about that, that they are immersed in scripture. Scripture is all around them. The word of God is on their heart and their mind always. If you've been to our house, you know that my wife Rachel loved having verses of scripture up. And there's something beautiful about that. Because when you walk down the stairs, you're reminded who you are, a child of God, and how to live that day. He says, make sure, verse 19, that you teach your kids about the word of God. And you talk to your kids, as I said before, that if you have children, that as parents, we are the primary pastors of our kids take every opportunity to to shine Christ into their lives because if we're not teaching them how to follow Jesus the world will teach them not to 
So the essence of obedience is not just information. It's actually intimacy with God. It's relation. You fall in love with God. You hear God speak to you and you want to obey. Not out of duty, but out of delight. But there's a folly here, the folly of disobedience. You ever watched somebody make a stupid decision? And you're watching on from afar, you're thinking, that is going to end badly. If you go down that path, it's going to end badly. That is hard to sit and watch, isn't it? It's even hard to sit and watch that, that same person make the same stupid decisions time and time and time again. And that's what God says to us this morning. Don't make the stupid decisions of disobedience again and again and again. Learn from your mistakes. Verse 2, he says, remember. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. He's saying to this generation as they stand on the edge of the promised land, it's not your kids who saw what God did. It's not your kids who experienced the discipline of the Lord, but you experienced it. Uh, Sure, you were only kids yourself then. You were only young then. That was 38 years ago. But surely you cannot forget what you saw with your own eyes. You saw the Lord's discipline. You saw his majesty, verse 2, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. You saw God redeem you deliver you you saw all that positive stuff but do you remember all the negative stuff do you remember the people who mocked God and disobeyed God and how God dealt with them it never ended well verse 3 you saw the signs that God performed and the things that God did in the heart of Egypt both the Pharaoh king of Egypt and his whole country remember that Remember what God did to Pharaoh, the man who mocked God and disobeyed God, and the man who played with God and said, no, I won't let my people go. Remember how God, your God, disciplined them by sending plagues of frogs and boils and gnats and animals died and firstborn kids died. Now, wake up, Israel. You saw that. And you saw, verse 4, what God did to the Egyptian army to its horses and chariots, how God overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea. Remember that, surely that had an impact on you when you you stood watching from dry land and you turned around and you saw these waves crashing down like a tsunami on the chariots, the horses, the men, the women, the boys, the girls. Surely you remember that. Don't trifle with this God who disciplines disobedience. And it's not just that God disciplines his enemies. No, he disciplines his children. Verse 5, it was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness. But you were there in the wilderness for 38 years. You wandered in the wilderness. Why? Because your parents disobeyed. Your parents doubted God's power and doubted God's presence. Your, your parents said, no, that, that's too hard, God. I know you've told us to do this, but we will not do this. No, we're going to rebel. And because of their disobedience, you wander for 38 years. Now, God was still kind. God provided water and manna from heaven and shoes that did not wear out and clothes that did not wear out. That was his grace. But you live for 38 years a life of drudgery and dreariness instead of thriving in a land because you experience the discipline of God. Or remember verse 6, Korah's rebellion, what God did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of Israel and swallowed them up. 
You stood there and you watched that. It's in Numbers 16. Uh, These men who were so arrogant. These men of God who who thought they, they knew better than God. They said, I don't like your way, God. We'll do it my way. And so God opened up the ground and swallowed them up because he will not be mocked. Verse 7, it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. It reminds me of Hebrews 12. Remember Hebrews 12 where the writer says that earthly fathers, earthly parents discipline their children for good. We, we make mistakes, but, but our motive needs to be pure. We, we want our kids to learn We want our kids to do the right thing. And God, as a perfect heavenly father, he disciplines us for our good when we we stuff up and we disobey. And God says to us this morning, don't forget the Lord's discipline. Why are you so slow to remember and learn from mistakes? I I do wonder whether the, the devil wants us to forget The devil loves it when we have amnesia and we don't learn from our mistakes. I've been really impacted over the last few months by all these high-profile pastors who have sinned and disobeyed and fallen. From your Ravi Zacharias to your Jonathan Fletchers, from your Carl Lentz to your Bill Hybels. And it's been like a wake-up call for me. And yet I know that in a few months' time, I'll just forget. I've watched friends who disobey, making stupid decisions, disobeying the Lord and and suffering consequences. And I'm thinking, oh, there but the grace of God go I. And yet, and yet, and yet, I still find myself tempted to make the same choices. Don't forget the Lord's discipline, he says. Don't be deceived by idolatry, verse 16. Be careful or you'll be enticed. You'll be trapped and turn away and worship other gods. The, the Israelites lived amongst the Canaanites who worshipped all these so-called gods of rain and wealth and fertility. And we live in that similar world where we are enticed by all the stuff around us. He says, be warned, lest you disobey. And can I say, as a pastor now for over 20 years, I've sadly watched many, many, many people disobey. And it is rarely because of doctrine. They don't wander from God because of theological doctrinal issues. They wander from God because they they want to make choices in life that the Bible says they should not make. But they put their own choices above the word of God. And the sad reality is that when I meet them years later, they're not happy. They're still not happy. The folly of disobedience. And the flip side is the blessings, the blessings that come when you obey. Uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That word blessed, it means to live under the favor of God. It means to experience true security and true contentment and true satisfaction and true joy, to be happy in Jesus The pastor Craig Rochelle says this, I I believe Christians often perceive obedience, obedience to God as some kind of test designed just to see if we really are committed to him. But what if it is designed as God's way of giving you what is best for you? 
So, so rather than seeing obedience as a test to see how committed you are, see it as a good heavenly father who actually wants the best for you. Do you believe that God wants to bless you and to give you joy and peace and happiness in life? There are three blessings in this chapter I think we need to hear. The first is in verse 8. It's a blessing of strength. God's strength. Verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that, here's the consequences, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land you're crossing Jordan to possess. Now God says, obey me and you'll be strong for this conquest because humanly speaking, God's people should never have won this victory. The people were bigger and stronger. But God says, no, I will strengthen you. I will fight for you. You can win this battle. Now now friends, we as a nation, as a church, we're not called to, to drive out nations today. But we are called to drive out sin in our own lives. And as a church, we are, 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 clean, we are called to, to pursue holiness. And, and sometimes, you know, the battle for that seems impossible. Sometimes God's word says things that we think, I can't do that. It's overwhelming to think of no lust, no lies, no anger, no greed, no slander, and no selfishness. So where do you start? How do you do that? Now, if you're sitting here thinking, oh, I'll make a list. I'll write down a list of of do's and don'ts. It never works. It always fails. You always feel guilty. And if you're thinking, oh, I'll have an accountability partner, that's a good thing to have someone to be accountable to. But you know what? You can always lie to them. So how do you do that? How do you pursue holiness and get rid of sin? The answer is in God's strength, not your own. Ask God to strengthen you. And it's like this chicken and egg thing. The more that you obey him, the more he gives you strength to say no to sin by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's saying, don't look back with rose-tinted spectacles and think how wonderful life was before you were a Christian. I find verses 10 and 11 quite shocking. He says, the land you are entering to take over It's not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you planted your seed and irrigated it by by foot as in a vegetable garden. The land you are crossing the Jordan to possess is a land of mountains and valleys and drinks rain from heaven. It's beautiful land. It's a luscious land, a land your God cares for. He's saying, why on earth would you want to go back to Egypt? Because Egypt was terrible. It was arid. It was... Difficult to irrigate. If you don't know what Egypt is like, it's dry and dusty. It's a horrible land to live in. There's so little water there. Uh, The Nile would flood occasionally. But that was your water supply for the whole land. And so these people had to get these these canals or these channels to try and channel the the flood water to the place they wanted it to go. How did you do that? By pumping with your foot. He had a foot pump. He went, pump, 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 pump. Please get some water. Do you want to go back to that? Pumping by foot? Or do you want to live in a land where the rain comes from heaven? Where God sends his water from above rather than from you having to work for it? Same with your sin, my friends. As you battle for your sins or battle with your sins. Do you want to work at it by foot? I can do this. I must do this. Beat yourself up. 
Please don't do that. You'll be burnt out and burdened. The alternative is to drink water from heaven. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Spirit of God to strengthen you to get rid of slander, to get rid of pride, to put on gentleness and compassion and kindness and think, where did that come from? It wasn't me, it was from God. You will only pursue holiness in the strength of God. And too many Christians, I think, try and pursue holiness and fight sin in their own strength. No wonder we're so burnt out and burdened. The second blessing is this. Not just strength, but satisfaction. Verses 13 to 15 are a beautiful picture of God's satisfying provision. If you faithfully obey the commands, verse 13, to love the Lord your God and to serve him, then, verse 14, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so you may gather in your grain your new wine and your olive oil. I'll provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you'll eat and be satisfied. What do you want? Dry, arid land or luscious grass with grain, new wine and olive oil, this this picture of abundance and blessings and lavish good life. That's what God wants for you. Let me pray, give us today our daily bread. Not excessive, not abundant, but just enough today so my ha- the hand of my God will satisfy my soul. See, see, when we obey, we may not have excess, but we'll have enough. And our good God will provide. And some of the happiest Christians I've ever met actually have the least amount of stuff in this world. When I was in Africa 30 years ago, they lived day to day, meal to meal. But they were living obedient lives and they were so generous with what they did have. And they were satisfied. My friend in London who was in the final two for a partnership as a law firm, but during that final interview, she realised that the company were asking her to, to lie and to really slander another company. I can't do that as a Christian. I refuse to do that. So she didn't get the job. But you know what? She's living a very satisfied life because she's at peace. Clear conscience. And God has provided for all of her needs. So when we obey the Lord, we're blessed with this this satisfaction. He does provide our daily needs and we live with this sense of of abundance because we have everything we need in Christ. Fully satisfied, fully strong, and fully safe. That's the third blessing, security, safety. No matter how how big the battles you're facing in life. Verse 22, if you carefully observe all these commands, to love God and to walk in obedience, then, verse 23, the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Down to verse 25, no one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he has promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. It is crazy, you know. The Canaanites, 
the Amorites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, they were strong, they were mighty, but they are cowering in fear over these tiny, insignificant Israelites. Why is that? Why were they so scared of them? Because they knew that God was with them, that God was on their side. And that is the promise, that if we live these lives that are loving God and obeying God, then God not only gives us what he promises, but he works in the hearts and minds of those who oppose us, and they can see God with us. And they may not like what we say or like what we do, but there's something about us that is captivating and perhaps a bit disquieting. And many times in my life I've stood up for Jesus and I've spoken out with fear and trembling about areas of, of sexuality, of greed, of justice, or the uniqueness of Christ. And the people I'm talking to, they don't like what I'm saying. But then they say something like, I don't like what you're saying, but I respect you. I respect your convictions or your gentleness or your humility. It is Titus too that we're living such good lives that they have nothing bad to say about us. See, our world has no respect for hypocritical Christians. But our world will respect the gracious, kind, obedient Christian. There's something unnerving about believers in Christ who are generally walking with the Lord. Those are the blessings. God's strength, God's satisfaction, God's security. We're called to obey. There's no other way to be happy but than to obey our Lord wholeheartedly. Oh, that's too hard, you say. It's really hard, isn't it? And you will fail. You'll fail a time and time and time again. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need the only person who could perfectly obey. That's why you need the man who said, not my will, but your will, and then walked to that lonely wooden cross. You're saved not by your obedience, you're saved by grace. But you are saved for obedience. And when you fail, you come back to your father again and again and again. He says, that's okay. Let me pick you up. Let me pick you up and let me love you. I'll finish with this. Why do you imagine God to be so unmoved by your heartfelt attempts at obedience? He is, after all, your heavenly father. What sort of father looks at his daughter's homemade birthday card and complains the color scheme is all wrong? What kind of mother says to her son after he gladly cleaned the garage but put the paint cans on the wrong shelf, this is worthless in my sight? What sort of parent rolls his eyes when his child falls off the bike on their first try? Your heavenly father in in heaven, he sees you and he loves your attempts, your efforts. They are sweet and precious and pleasing to him. So when you walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all he would trust and obey. So trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey.